Thank you, Jim Downing. Appreciate it, brother. Good morning to all. It's always a delight to see my church family. We had a leaders retreat this weekend and uh, had a great time together. And it just reminded me what a great church this is and, uh, and how much I love this church family that God has brought to us and the relationships we have. It's just a great, great thing. So, well, this morning, I want to tell you that I've been thinking quite a bit lady, lately about how, lady, I'm quite a bit lady, I've been thinking about you, Shirley. I've been thinking quite a bit about how people think, the way they think. In other words, I've been thinking about our thinking. How, for example, can two people look at this very red shirt that I'm wearing this morning and one person think it's red, which is clearly the case, and another person think it's purple, or for that matter, blue or white. I mean, it's a red shirt, right? We're looking at the same thing, and we see two completely different things. Now, in the case of my shirt, it could be a simple matter of colorblindness. That's a physical condition, but especially in light of the current state of our politics, and don't worry, this is not going to be a message about politics. It'll have very little to do with that. We have enough division in our nation without bringing it here into the church. But I've thought a lot about how people are able to hear what they want to hear regardless of the facts, or in reality, sometimes regardless of the truth. This is not a case of what's right for me is right for me and what's right for you is right for you. Now, that may be okay. That is okay when it comes to maybe your favorite food, your favorite flavor of ice cream, your favorite color, your favorite sport, right? Or even your favorite preferred vacation destination. But I have to admit that as much as I love to go to the Rocky Mountains on vacation, it's not a truth that the Rocky Mountains are the best place to go for a vacation. That's my preference. And it may be your preference too, but you may prefer the beach, you may prefer some other location or a big city where there's a lot of different things to do. But it's not an incontrovertible truth that the Rockies are the best place to visit on a vacation. That's a very individual choice. And that's okay. But with many other things, and that includes all of the most important things, as Scripture defines it, truth is truth. Truth is truth. There's no in-between. There's a right way to see things, and there's a wrong way to see things. Now, Paul implied exactly that with Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, when he encouraged Timothy to rightly handle the word of truth. Now, doesn't the fact that Paul instructed Timothy to rightly handle the word of truth clearly imply that if you can handle the word of truth correctly, you can also wrongly or incorrectly handle the word of truth. And there we come down to the theme of this morning's message, titled Mushy Minds. I would like you, for, by way of illustration this morning, to consider this commercial. It's about a six-year-old commercial. And I want you to note how it humorously makes one of the points that we're getting at today. But it's interesting, too, because it's almost like a screw tape letters kind of tactic. Most of you, many of you have read the screw tape letters, huh? Well, it mocks the very truth that it illustrates. 
And so watch this commercial. It's one worldview writer called this commercial shamelessly direct. to avoid when it comes to our brains, right? And not just so our brains are not made tastier for alien consumption. That's not the only reason we want to avoid mushy minds. Our, one definition of mushy, for example, is soft. And that does relate to our theme today. But the second definition is a little bit more related to our look at the mind this morning. The second definition is lacking in precision or definition. Now, this commercial makes us laugh about turning uh, our minds to mush by watching a little bit too much television. But you know what? Our own thinking can get quite mushy. It can get soft. It can be lacking in precision or definition, depending on how much and how carefully we consume and unwittingly absorb the worldview of unbelievers. And that can be through television, or that can be through a wide variety of other uh, means. Our minds are the source of our worldview. That is, they are the lens through which we see the world around us. Most issues of our day come down to our worldview, how we think about politics, for example, how we think about morality, how we think about character, and almost anything else of importance is shaped by how we see the world. And how we see the world can be shaped by a whole variety of of influences in the world. The truth is we will be molded and shaped by the things in our life. We will be. That's just, that's an incontrovertible truth, okay? But it's our responsibility to decide which things in our lives will have the largest, most significant influence in shaping the way we see life and everything about life. Of course, an easy target for something that should not be, cannot be the largest, most significant influence in our worldview is media. Why is that? It's an easy target because it's so pervasive. We can't escape it. We can't completely escape it. It's so potentially consumptive in our lives. And it is, for the most part, very reflective of an unbiblical worldview. Television, internet, music, entertainment, movies, if these things have too large a role in shaping us, our worldview will be skewed. Even as if we're looking at the world through a fish-eye lens changes the way we see anything through that lens. And this is true whether we're talking about pure entertainment 
or whether we're talking about even news. Everywhere people go and everything they consume shape their beliefs about reality and form their worldview. We live at a time in which Christians are more consumer-driven than truth-driven. May that not be said of us here in this room. Our key verse this morning is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's on the cover in another version on your uh, bulletin this morning. But let me read from the English Standard Version of Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see here in Paul's letter to the Romans both a warning and an admonition to do something about that warning. The warning, of course, is do not be conformed to this world. The admonition is be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So it's not just don't be like, don't think like the world. I mean, it is that, but that's not all that this verse tells us. It is that, but it's more. Not by a mere outward disconformity to the ungodly world, says the JFB commentary, many of whose actions in themselves may be virtuous and praiseworthy, but by such an inward spiritual transformation as makes the whole life new, new in its motives and ends, even where the actions differ in nothing from those of the world, new considered as a whole and in such a sense as to be wholly unattainable through the constraining power of the love of Christ. That's an important element here. The way we can avoid mushy minds or being conformed to this world is to allow the Holy Spirit, through God's Word, to transform us and to change us. By what? By renewing our minds. Renewing means to renew in quality. In quality, not necessarily in quantity. It means a renewing or a renovation which makes a person different than they were in the past. Same words used in Titus 3.5 where it's written, He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So this renewal is part of the process of God changing us, transforming us, into the image and likeness of Christ. He changes our thinking, and our renewed thinking then changes what we do. So we must remember that discipleship and worldview training goes on every day in every part of our lives, not just in the Sunday sermon or at time we spend in church. Let me give you one last illustration from politics this morning, from our current fractured political discourse. A 30-minute sermon once a week or a brief morning prayer are not nearly as formative as the hours a congregant may spend watching cable news or listening to talk radio or frequenting conspiratorial websites or sharing articles that fan, fan the flames of fear and anger. Discipleship is happening everywhere. And it's likely that a left-wing or right-wing website is a bigger influence on a congregant's worldview than the most recent sermon they heard. I think that's really true, folks. Of course, we could say the same about what's meant to be pure entertainment and not even really news. How can I, 
Or how can any of the elders in a 40-minute or so Sunday morning sermon possibly compete with the sheer volume of messages that all of us consume each and every week on Facebook, on television, in the movies you see, in the things you read, in the music you listen to. Now, I'm betting most of us, myself included, can more easily remember the lyrics of a popular song than many passages of Scripture. Now, that may be a relatively harmless thing, but it may not be. So it's not necessarily about the time, the volume of time. Time may be a factor here, but it's more about the lens through which we consume culture. Primarily what this is about is discernment. It's about discernment. It's a learning how to think clearly. And this passage from Romans 12 talks about that as well. When our minds are renewed, when we're not conformed with mushy minds into the world's way of thinking, we're better able to discern. Let me again read our key text this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As Christians, you know what? How we think matters to God. How we think matters to God. When defining the great commandment, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So that says to me we can't truly love God with just our feelings. Our minds must be included in that wholeness of our love for God. To live well, we must think well. All of our actions flow naturally from what we believe about reality, and especially what we believe about God, what we believe about His revelation, what we believe about His commandments, and how we are to relate to our neighbor. Philosopher and theologian William Lane Craig wrote that our churches are filled with people who are spiritually born again, but who still think like non-Christians. Do we think like non-Christians? Is our worldview a truly Christian, fully formed Christian worldview? What's teaching you? If you're in school, you're learning, right? If you're in church, hopefully you're learning. If you're in a job, you're probably still learning. But all of us have professors that are outside of these things. They're named CBS and CNN and Fox News and YouTube and movies, right? These are teachers as well. Embedded in all of these are images and ideas. Images are extremely powerful because they bypass rational thought and make direct impressions on the mind. And they are what drive culture today. Moreover, consumption of media is virtually the same inside and outside the church. This consumption then leads to the formation of certain universal background beliefs. And those universal background beliefs in each of us are our worldview, how we view the world, the lens through which we view the world. So we need to take a critical look at the lens, at our eyeglasses, okay? We need to take a critical look, a discerning look at the roadmaps that we use to navigate our lives. Of course, Scripture is our roadmap. Scripture should be our eyeglasses as well. And the Word 
assumes that it really is possible to examine all of the messages that we consume from the world around us in light of our transformation into the image and likeness of Christ. This is not an impossible task that God has given us. We read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So why would we have this admonition and other admonitions in Scripture to see to it? That's on me, isn't it? That's on me. So Scripture assumes that it's possible to be in the world and have a biblical worldview, consuming all of the elements that the world would throw at us. The scientist Johannes Kepler described science as thinking God's thoughts after him. Thinking God's thoughts after him. Isn't that what we're after here? Not just with science, but with everything. Thinking God's thoughts after him. It's a matter of perspective. Perspective means to see through. What you see through, the perspective that you have, makes a difference. When we see the world through the very lens of God's revealed word to us, the scriptures that we're so blessed to have an abundant access to, it makes a difference in our worldview. It makes a difference in our actions because our worldview leads to action. We can see things in different situations through a different lens. Isn't it interesting how our perspective can change these things? There's the story of a shoe manufacturer who decided to open a market in the Congo. And uh, the shoe manufacturer sent two salesmen to explore and begin to develop this market. And one salesman sent a message back and said, prospects here aren't very good, no one wears shoes. And the other salesman reported enthusiastically, market potential is terrific, everyone's barefooted. Huh? See the difference in perspective? Now I think the second salesman, the enthusiastic one, was probably Joel Dasana. How we respond to life, how we respond to life, how we think about issues depends on the perspective that we have. How we see the world is our worldview, and worldview and perspective are very closely related because our perspective is how we think about life. So a Christian worldview means what? We think like a Christian. If we have a Christian worldview, we think like a Christian. It's important to note how Scripture views the use of or the importance of our minds, our thinking, as we've already highlighted from a couple of verses. The fact is that Scripture is very clear about using our minds, using our brains, isn't it? Yet in our culture, which relies so heavily on subjective personal experience, and also we see this sometimes in many charismatic and evangelical Circles. We've sometimes considered the word mind a four-letter word. Of course it is, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> In the world, life's about feelings. It's not about thinking. Yet we've seen what Scripture has to say about our minds. So if the word is truly our guide, we have to admit that the biblical idea of mind includes both thinking and feeling. We so often create this unnecessary, unneeded, false separation between our hearts and our minds. 
many Christians have lost the art of thinking and how thinking and understanding is such a vital part of our faith. And thinking, let's admit it, thinking can be hard work sometimes. Isn't it easier just to kind of sit there and feel rather than ruminate and mull things over and think about things? And sometimes we're just not willing to put in the hard work to think about something, to think it through. Also, we sometimes have an either-or mentality about heart on the one hand and mind on the other, when in reality it should be both and. It shouldn't be heart versus mind. It should be heart and mind. We put heart and mind at odds with one another, and instead we need to recognize that they do in fact complement each other. In fact, in a very biblical understanding, they are most often different aspects of one and the same thing. Pitting heart versus mind, separating reason and experience, can be a barrier for us as believers as we work to develop a fully and completely biblical worldview. Some people have at times corrupted the idea of our minds that Scripture speaks of. There's a British theologian named Colin Gunter, and he suggested that as created, reason is good, as fallen, it is extremely liable to prideful ascendancy to the throne of man's life. So before we move forward this morning, let me be absolutely clear about one thing. The thinking part of our minds, our rational thought, cannot be and is not our sole means of access to God. Apart from Christ, our minds are prone to pride. It's only as we are sanctified in him that our reason as well, our thinking is sanctified too. And apart from the Holy Spirit, scriptures are very clear about this. We can't really understand anything of biblical truth to begin with unless the Holy Spirit enlivens scripture in our minds and in our hearts. Yet, we continue to see these admonitions in scripture. We are commanded to love God with our minds. And not only to have this responsibility to use our minds, but to renew our minds. And there's a clear purpose behind this. In a larger sense, the prevailing worldview in any given culture really does affect a lot more than individual lives. The prevailing worldview in a culture impacts history. It impacts nations. It impacts the course of human existence. Let me just give you a few examples of this. Did you know that in Thailand, the peasant is labeled with a phrase that means destined to poverty? That's how they're labeled. Now, this attitude clearly enslaves the poor in poverty and gives them almost no hope of ever finding their way out of it. In Hinduism, they see perfection as kind of a state of resignation. Whatever will be, will be. Can't do anything about it. This causes people, of course, to withdraw from the world and to not attack the evils that we see in the world. Secularism sees man as a machine or an animal at best, and this reduces the motivation to protect the life of those who are marginalized in our society, such as the pre-born, the mentally ill, the handicapped, or the elderly. It's also why a very sizable segment of our culture is okay with Planned Parenthood selling baby parts. After all, we're just a machine. They're just specimens. They're just products of conception. So how we perceive the world's problems 
depends on our worldview. And again, the best example I can think of is life issues here in America. As followers of Jesus, what do we believe? We believe that each of us is created in the image and likeness of God. Excuse me. This is a very significant element in our Christian worldview. That means every life, when you believe that, that's part of your worldview, then every life has value from the time of conception to the time of death, from the womb to the tomb. There's no such thing as second-class life. But where people believe a worldview which does not include the idea that we are, in fact, made in the image and likeness of God, we can now begin to understand why they also do not believe in the value of the unborn, in the value of the handicapped, in the value of the elderly. We need to recognize how a Christian worldview impacts the way we think about everything we encounter in our day-to-day existence. It impacts the way we think about the culture we live in. It impacts the way we think about history, people, disasters, good things, bad things, all across the board. It's helpful to take a closer look at the difference in some worldviews. We're just going to take just kind of a snapshot look at these things. The worldviews between a worldly worldview on the one hand and a believer in Christ and unbelievers. Let's start with the idea uh, that much of the world is shaped by relativism. And that's the idea that you should do what's ever right for you. What's right for you is right for you. Relativism takes the personal preference idea that we talked about a little earlier related to favorite foods and favorite vacation destinations, and it applies it to all of life. Okay, So not just those things that really are personal preferences, but really important things. What's good for you is fine. What's good for me is fine. No one has the right to tell you what to do or tell me what to do because values and morals are subjective. They're not objective. Truth is determined, this uh, philosophy says, this worldview says, by a majority vote. It's a product of our culture. So different cultures have different truths, as do individuals within those cultures. In this kind of a worldview, truth is not something revealed to us. But let's compare that with the Christian worldview. On the other hand, the Christian's worldview is formed out of the objective, revealed truth of Scripture. We discover truth, folks. We don't make it. We discover truth. We don't make it. It reminds me of the Rich Mullins song, Creed. And one of the choruses says, I did not make it. It is making me. That's the idea here. It rests on absolutes. The world's view is also secular. That's meaning of this world or of the present age. That's the same idea in the translation of Romans 12, 2 that we read a few minutes ago, where it says, do not be conformed to this world. We could also translate that, do not be conformed to this age. It emphasizes the here and now, and it leads to a desire for instant gratification. It de-emphasizes anything related to the transcendent, that is, anything that is, quote-unquote, religious. The Christian's view, on the other hand, is eternal. Because of this, what we do now is not passing, it's not unimportant. It counts forever. What's more, we recognize that this life is just the beginning. It's a blip on the little radar screen of eternity. The world's view is also often anti-historical. It denies the importance, the value of history as something we can learn from. And it also tends to rewrite history, too, according to our own modern view 
of events. In other words, we're so much more intelligent now than those possible uh, idiots and fools from way back when, right? That's the idea. We can't possibly believe the thing that these people in the past believed. Another way of saying this is that this worldview is deconstructionist. An example might be the study of literature where the original tent of the author of any work doesn't matter really anymore. What we think of in our time and in our context is what really matters. Now the flip side of this is the Christian worldview. And the Christian worldview acknowledges the historical account of God's work, of course, in Scripture from the beginning. It doesn't seek to change history to match an agenda. So Christians view history a lot like the Hebrews before us, that is, events are a part of God's whole divine purpose. In other words, God has a plan, and he's working it out, and we can see how it worked out in history, we can see how it's working out now, and we can see that he has a plan for the future. Hebrew and Christian history is dominated by the idea of purpose. That is God's redemptive purpose in history. The world's view is also naturalistic. In this worldview, nature is supreme. And because of this, all nature is equal. And there's no longer a reason for humanity to be considered as anything special in nature. Anybody seen those Discovery Channel shows that imagine what the world would be like if there weren't people? Any, any of you seen some of those shows listed? Boy, you guys need to get out more. I just find it fascinating that the, the tone of those programs is imagine what it would be like and actually it would be better if we weren't here. That's the idea. And that goes along with this worldview. It makes it impossible to say that one creature has greater worth than another. It also glorifies science as the only means of explaining life. Now the Christian's view is based on the supernatural. There's a lot more going on than meets the eye. There's a spiritual reality that may not be visible, but it's every bit as real as what we can feel and what we can touch. Now, ideally, you know, a lot of people who have that kind of a worldview um, think that Christians are anti-science. Ideally, Christians should not be anti-science in any way. What it recognizes is that science cannot explain everything. Science can't explain everything, and a Christian worldview embraces science as a revelation of God's creation. The world's view is also pragmatic. That's the idea that whatever works, that's what you do. Do whatever works. And this leaves us, you can see this, can't you, that this leaves us without a moral compass to gauge direction, to guide us in any way. The question, does it work? is not necessarily wrong in and of itself, but it often ignores the question, is it right or wrong? And sometimes those two things do compete, not always. The Christian's view is just the opposite. It's idealistic. We do what is right by objective standards, and of course those objective standards are revealed in God's Word. We do what's right by those objective st standards even if the consequences are difficult. There was one survey of mainline denomination members some years ago that found that only 32% of these uh, members of churches believed that their faith had anything at all to do with their life outside of church. That's kind of a scary thing. Why do you go to church? In other words, the thing 
they think and believe don't have an impact on most of their lives or how they choose to live. The late Charles Colson, who was one of my early influences in worldview thinking, called this a deadly form of schizophrenia. He wrote, understanding the antithesis between the secular mindset and the Christian worldview, in other words, seeing how they are complete opposites, people of faith need to look critically at every area of life and measure each area from this perspective, from a Christian worldview. Nothing should be too secular to escape sacred scrutiny. And I want to say a hearty amen to that. Whether you recognize it or not, you do have a worldview. All of us do. It's not open to choice. The only choices you really have about worldview are what kind of worldview you want to have, what you will allow to shape and mold that worldview, and whether or not you want to truly understand your worldview. It's my hope and prayer that we would endeavor as faithful followers of Christ to have a fully integrated biblical worldview. Now why? Why is that important? Because what many have called the culture wars in our day are really, at their root, worldview wars. Folks, our Christian worldview is more and more out of step with the predominant worldviews, some of which we just looked at, that are dominant in our culture. We can't just decide what to believe. We have to understand why. And we must base our worldview on the objective foundation of God's word. And that includes his revelation of how the world is supposed to work. Thinking of things that are mushy, I thought of cotton candy. It looks big and appealing, but it's just a big, soft, mushy ball of sugar, isn't it? Well, C.S. Lewis wasn't a big fan of cotton candy Christians. He wrote, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than any other slackers. If you are thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you are embarking on something which will take the whole of you, brains and all. We can't just feel, folks. We have to think. We have to think. We must embrace God's calling, God's command to think and to love him with all of our minds. We must hear his call to not be conformed, shaped and molded into the shape of the world. We must hear his call to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Will we do that? That's our choice here. That's our choice this morning, but that's our choice every day because we live in the world and the world can shape us and mold us and we don't have to be conformed to the world. We can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So let's commit to that today together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the firm foundation we have in your word. We're grateful, Father, for the reality that you've given us these minds to think with, to process things, to consider things. And through these minds, Father, you have chosen to reveal yourself through your word, by your Holy Spirit, Lord. You've chosen to reveal yourself in your redemptive plan for your people. So, Lord, we do, even now, this morning, commit to continuing to renew our minds, continuing to reject the idea of being conformed to this world. 
And Father, that may mean different things to different people, but we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would, in your grace and in your mercy, reveal to each one of us those ways that we are maybe being conformed to the world more than we should. And you'd also reveal to us those ways in which you would have us be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We thank you, Father, for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that these are not things we can do in and of ourselves. But, Father, it's by the renewing power of your Holy Spirit at work in our minds. So we submit our minds to you this morning, Lord. And we ask you to do your mighty work and make us more and more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.